What's going on, everybody? We are currently here with the dudes from Made for Profit. We've got Brad Rodriguez from Fix This, Build That. What's up, and guys? And John Malecki, the builder. The builder. Welcome to the show. Thanks, you guys. We are stoked to be here at Maker Ranch. So we've got a week-long collaboration extravaganza happening. You're here Saturday to Saturday. We've got quite a bit planned. Going to be building, going to be podcasting, the whole shebang. All of it. All of it. A lot of Instagram stories, a few, a few live broadcasts here and there, and just a lot of shenanigans in general. <laughs> yeah, we started off hot, too. I mean, we started off pretty fun little challenge today. One-day builds. One-day builds are a great way, I think, to kick off something like this. Absolutely. You get, get, get you in your groove. Yeah. Get in the groove. You figure out where people's tools are a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yes, where they, yeah, where they aren't. It was like, where, where's the table saw? Oh, that's not here. Right Apparently now. it's been <laughs> gone for three days, but I didn't notice. <laughs> and there's also something about when you, when you know it's a one-day build, it gives you sort of the freedom to not take it too seriously, which often lets you move really quickly and without any sort of angst. So I always like these kind of things because... It just is fun. There's no sort of, okay, did I get this? Did I miss this? Did I get this shot? It's just oh, like, yeah. you know you're going to do something reasonably interesting. If As long as your interest is still in what you're doing for the day, uh, chances are you're going to make something that other people are interested in too. Totally. All right. So, Brad, you've been on the show three times now. This is the third time. This I is mean, a three-peat. That's, that's insane. A three-peat. I'm trying to keep ahead of the curve. Like I heard, yeah, you guys had some two-peats. I had to get back on. That's, that's the, basically the sole reason I came out here. <laughs> I want to be the, the most peated uh, yeah, member of yeah, I feel like a bum, though, because this is my first time now. Well, you are. Yeah, yeah. And we've that had, is true. That's, that's kind of surprising. <laughs> we've had both of you gentlemen on our show. We got yeah. real, real deep in the business talk. Yeah, so you guys would be the first uh, – Two Pete. It'll be the first two Pete on ours. That's awesome. Yeah. So look forward to Made for Profit. If you're not already listening, we should be on there soon. Maybe in the next couple of weeks, month. You were on recently within the last, I would say, last two episodes. months. Yeah. yeah, yeah ben was, was uh, our second interview. Yeah. It was a really cool experience. I love the way you guys, well, one, you're, you're great at just moving the conversation from one valuable topic to another. Like as soon as it gets into rambling, like one of you are always really keen on just like cutting it off and saying like, all right, next, but you have something to say. <laughs> well, we try to focus the show a lot more on like directive business conversation. Um, you know, we felt when we uh, got into the beginning of the podcast conceptualization process that there was a gap in our space for education on that side of things. And we get a ton of questions and feedback on like, Everything from, you know, how to market to how to start a business to why you want to grow social media following to, you know, buying wood at the right price, like anything. And you look at it and there's like no resources. There's no roadmap to get started as a maker. There's no, you know, pamphlet or book or anything. Especially when you're trying to like promote yourself. Exactly. So with that, we saw that gap there. And uh, after (laughs) a lot of... A lot of phone calls. We, you know, decided to dive into it. So when we get, we love having the candid, like off the cuff conversations. But with the way we we try to keep the show pretty tight and direction on the topic. Yeah, yeah. it's fun to talk about like funny things, and it's like, well, what business rule or what business, you know learning could you get out of that and how how can you apply that and that's that's i think the fun part to see about it right i think what's different about your guys's podcast than a lot of the other ones in our sort of space is that yours is also evergreen it's almost a series of research papers that are all in audio format of you guys dissecting a specific business topic as it relates to makers and so really you can sort of go back and look through the titles i mean our, our podcast and a lot of the other maker ones are more like recapping what we're currently doing so if you listen to one from like 30 weeks ago, we might be on a totally different project or totally working right. in a different way or a different space. So I think yours is one of the ones where I'll find myself if I'm, you know, having questions about a particular topic, I'll look through the archive and maybe cherry pick a couple from the past um, or even re-listen to them. And I think that's, that's interesting because you're, you're, you're creating sort of a textbook, a business textbook for makers. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fun when you hear, and I'm sure you guys have it too, where you hear it's like, oh, I'm binging your episodes. And it's like, you know, people write to us and it's really funny because our first three episodes were on Instagram because that's one of our favorite topics. But uh, they're like, oh man, I learned so much. And we're like, you probably want to listen to some earlier ones, mm-hmm. some more recent ones because so much has changed. So it is ever good. But that's the nice part too, is that you can keep hitting those topics like Instagram and, you know, like Facebook ads and like those things, because those are things that uh, are in flux and they're changing. And so you do have to keep current with those things. 
I can't think of any platform that's changed more in the last two years than Instagram. Oh, tons. I mean, even like they've changed, like even the last month, they've like put out like five new features. I mean, they're just like constant innovation. You mean like bunny ear filters? (laughs) Bunny ear filters, yeah. Love love those. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, so we were talking about IGTV. I think in our past two episodes, we had mentioned it kind of saying like, uh, we see it, but we're not really using it. We're kind of, I, we've independently talked about some ideas on how we could utilize it. But what about you guys? You guys are the ones that are like, if it's out there, I'm going to be, ta- I'm going to take advantage of it. So what's your take on it? So, I mean, we, we actually, so we talked about this pretty deep um, a couple of weeks ago on our show, actually in the after show. Yep. Um, and in that, you know, uh, I think the biggest issue I have currently with Instagram TV is the lack of searchability. Right. So, you know, YouTube is fantastic because you can find things that are resourceful. They are um, in line with what you want to see. They also have suggested that come up that are things relevant to what you've been searching in the past. Well, IGTV is only based on the people you follow and the people you follow producing whatever they want for IGTV. And there's like the sorting of it I don't think is great. And I don't – and so – you know, with that, for content creators specifically, people like ourselves, to put more effort into something that is a different format than our existing. So, for instance, I tried to film a <clears throat> crosscut sled video that I just did. So you can't have you can't have it horizontal and vertical on a DSLR, yeah. uh, or you have to crop out a lot of what's happening, and you have to format your shots and shoot really wide. Yeah, and then you so lose sh- a lot of your resolution yeah. too. So I shot it on my phone while shooting it on my DSLR. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I, when I went to like <laughs> stitch it all together, I was like, all right, I got this video done. <laughs> now I'm going to do the whole thing over again on IGTV. <laughs> so because you can't, like we all crop down teaser videos for Instagram specifically from our content, little things like that turn me off. But it's more of like user adoption of it that I'm really like staying away from right now. It's because if uh, someone wants to search my stuff, they literally can't find it yeah. on IGTV. And that's a big turnoff to me in the moment. Now, I almost guarantee that it'll be there uh, as they continue to push what they want to get out of IGTV because we are all seeing Instagram and Facebook, you know, the, the mother brand, wanting I mean, to compete. Yeah, and I mean, they're paying influencers to post on IGTV. Like, they're dumping resources into it. They are. But I think the, the biggest thing that they have to solve for me is going to be um, better integration. The fact that that's a whole other app is, and you can get to it like it links you, but I think that's a huge miss yeah. because like right now, if you go into stories, um, there's like stories and then live and you can kind of switch back. Like if somebody has a live that they've done in the last 24 hours, it'll have that up there. I mean, I, I think that was the miss. I think they should have a third tab that's then IGTV because you have to click on it. You go out to another app. I mean, quite honestly, I don't watch it. I don't use it. Like I did one thing on it. I got really good feedback on it, but it was a pain in my butt. I mean, it took me like two hours to edit and same similar thing. And it was just like a, a little shop thing. It, I didn't try to, to dual thread a, a project I did, but I made like a little uh, joiner push block holder yeah. and it, it was fun. And I got to show a lot more personality. So I liked it for that. So I think it, for me, it's almost like just an extended story. So it's a way uh, that I think you can use a different channel to show people more personality, like a little bit something different. So most of my videos are just like voiceover, right? And they're very kind of instructional and clean and crisp. Um, and I'm not in there horsing around in front of a camera a lot. So that might be a good place to to kind of unveil that and give people another reason to go there. So like I wouldn't want it to just be another version of the same content I'm putting out elsewhere. Like yeah. make it unique so that there's a reason for somebody to go there. And then, you know, maybe that brings on a whole different set of sponsorship opportunities right. too. So how are you guys uh, digging the desert? Y'all are like drying out like sponges this afternoon. I'll, dude, I'll tell <laughs> you what. Y'all are getting crusty. I am, I am very much not used to this. Like it is, uh, it's weird because I feel like super depleted. And like I can run on like fumes for a long time back home, but I was like, I probably put down 12 waters and four LaCroix today. And I drank a liter of water while we were sitting at lunch. And like, I still, my lips are chapped. Like I feel like I need salt. I need, yeah. And so that's one thing I was like, you know, I don't know. I've had any salt intake. Um, but it's a, uh, it definitely has a, a learning curve and it's definitely something you have to like consider when we were out there in like the middle of the day, uh, like that three o'clock I was, I had to, 
sit down. Like, that okay. was roasty, man. Okay. okay. I mean, yeah, I, I dig. I like people I, die out here. In this die. Heat stroke. I was for just here, yeah, for the Garys. The weather <laughs> to be on the podcast for a third time and for the Garys. So, yeah. like, that was the highlight of my day. Have the have your kids seen? Oh yeah, you yeah. Hold, feeding them yet? Yeah, yeah. They I, I sent them other videos. You know, put, so I put Gary on my story. And my kids were like, yes, like, that is so amazing. It's like that, that thing, that chipmunk, squirrel, yeah, that little varmint. Rat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it, man. I like the, I like the hot, uh, hot and dry because, you know, coming from the south and Nashville, it's like, we were, we were just talking about this earlier, but we were at like 81% humidity and it was like 18% humidity here. So it's extremely different and it's a lot more bearable without, without all the... For me, it's all good as long as there's no mosquitoes. There's mosquitoes. I'm out. Yeah. There's no mosquitoes. You got like I'm all fire good. ant colony out there, though, man. They're, they're yeah, like, they don't really bother you, though. No, they don't. Which was interesting because they're like just roaming sure. everywhere. Yeah. yeah, you'd think there was something that would eat ants just crawling no, around. No, the all lizard over the place. does. The lizard. I know. You would think though that they're just like breeding like crazy because they've got endless food. Oh yeah, so you guys yeah. can get an ant or a komodo dragon instead of just a small komodo dragon. Yeah, small komodo. I think that's a backyard komodo. A reasonable house pet, a small komodo. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. We brush his teeth. It's not, you know, he doesn't have the whole parasite thing happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think if they lick you, you die. But, like, regardless, they're still awesome. Yeah. Is that them? Yeah. I think they have a poisonous tongue. Absolutely. Yeah, I just watched an episode of, like, Planet Earth where... <laughs> Where there's, like, 40 Komodo dragons. One of them bit uh, Water Buffalo's leg. And for two weeks, they just followed it around until it couldn't walk anymore. And then they ate it. Like, they didn't even bother attacking this thing. Oh, that is so sad. Yeah, just one guy just got one good bite in on, a, on on its heel, too. Like, didn't even get really, like, a real fleshy part. But they're just like, oh, we got him. We'll be eating good in a week or two. Like, it's savage, man. Nature is... Nature is metal. So were you watching it in like on 5K VR? Like how how were you consuming your Planet Earth? Because I was in college when Planet Earth first came out. We were like blown away. It's amazing. It was the series. We'd sit there and just be like, my goodness, that green is the deepest green I've ever seen. Yes. And that was right when they're rolling out like the super slow-mo footage. And it's like, I've never seen nature in this slow, like slow motion. Like I love polar bears. Yeah. Yeah, It was actually one of the, it was one of the throwbacks. So after they came out with Planet Earth, the like the kind of mini series or whatever, the Animal Planet picked up like a whole TV show, like Planet Earth Life or whatever it was called. So it was 10 years old, but it really stood up it like the production value was, i mean obviously it's not like watching anything that they're doing now but it was still but really, really, I mean, I, really I, yeah good. it was mind-blowing when it came out yeah, which makes me think man we should be recording at 4k yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the level of patience that those videographers have is yeah. through the roof like the the, the lengths they go to sort of embed themselves with these creatures and to get the shot. I mean, that, they're going through yeah. all sorts of uncomfortable. Like when yeah. that dude's yeah. like charging at them, they're like, I'm staying in there. Yeah. Right. Like, like imagine you got a cameraman that he got the shot of the Komodo dragon nipping its heel. He's following it around for like two weeks, but then he's asleep while they like find when the, when the <laughs> ox finally falls down and they eat it all. He's like, dang it. That's two weeks down the drain. <laughs> I, I remember seeing they had that. I think it was like an Arctic Fox and there hadn't been one recorded for like, eight oh, years no. oh, yeah. and this dude just like lived in a bush in the mountains in the snow to see this fox come out for like seven seconds right? and he caught it in slow-mo and they made it it was like the most incredible thing i, I never thought i'd be so into a fox yeah <laughs> yeah i think they're using drones a little bit more for the for the yeah. new version yep. um but no it, it's extraordinary like the the levels and, and talent of, of what they're doing oh yeah they do like robots and stuff too like they'll send in like a little robotic you know, penguin. Yeah, elephant. That's the one I saw. They they oh, sent in like a robotic elephant and it had like all the cameras decked out. Yeah. And it was really funny. Like some of them, they showed it in a couple different ways. Uh, I think it was an elephant. They sent one in, and it's like you know, some of them are like kind of looking at it weird, and then like <laughs> other ones are just like like smash it or something. You know. That's why me and Mike were thinking of making kind of like a two person horse costume that we could maybe infiltrate <laughs> and add sort oh, of a. That reminds me of the Ace Ventura scene where where he's just. The air conditioner, the air conditioner dies, and there he's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of wild nature stuff, uh, is it still Shark Week? Are you guys into Shark Week at all? Man, people get into that, dude. Yeah, they do. I was when I was playing in the when I was still in the NFL, we would uh, be at camp for the weeks of Shark Week. So okay. essentially, um, the way the Steelers did it is you'd go to a college dorm near Pittsburgh and you'd live like your 
18 years old and just got to college again, unless you were like a superstar and then you got your own suite. Right. So us peasants, we were in single ply beds, like sleeping on the floor. You bring a TV, but man, me and my, my roommate Doug used to get so into shark week. Like we'd come out of practice, like sprint upstairs with our dinners and like catch, <laughs> catch That's these sharks, like shark going to town week. on some seals and, <laughs> and be like chanting and screaming about it. That's dope. Shark, sharks are my irrational fear. Like I won't get into the or I've gotten into the ocean a couple of times. I've built up the nerve for it, but I've like I went to the places with the ocean about five times growing up, and it wasn't until I was like sixteen that I finally got into the ocean. Just really? too scared, irrationally afraid of getting eaten by a shark. Yeah, did you go check out the Meg yet? The what? The Meg in the new in the movie. It's about like the Megalodon. <laughs> Jaws but bigger. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. No. I mean, I'd watch it. I mean, it kind of seems like eh, a little cheesy, but. Yeah, Those, looks very cheesy. If you go into it with the right mindset, it could be good. I feel like that'd be a great nickname. Meg the Megalodon. Yeah. Megalodon. If you're like if you're a UFC fighter, Mike the Megalodon Montgomery. <laughs> yeah, let's get you back on that for diet. this weight <laughs> Did you know you, you get the perfect name for it, man? Bruce Buffer could do it, man. Yeah. What? Triple M. Oh yeah. Mike the Megalodon Montgomery. You get a shark tattooed on your chest. Yeah. Oh, you could get yeah. the you could get those the undies. Like, oh, the yeah. undies. You could have the shark in the front instead of the uh, the wolf. Oh yeah. yeah, nice. I was just thinking like uh, like the jaws, like the the jaw itself. Just get the whole like Brock Lesnar, except like shark. Exactly, exactly. Like, phallic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's kind of fun. You've basically got the equivalent of like a UFC uh, fighter's nickname. You've got John the Builder Malecki. I mean, I just wanted to build things. Bruce Buffer could intro you. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta meet Bruce. Look it up. You're you're working on a project for Ben Roethlisberger right now. I mean, we're not dropping names. I'm I'm thinking he's probably not listening to the Modern Maker podcast. I don't think so. He is at training camp, probably watching Shark Week. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm doing. So you were on the Steelers. Yeah, yeah. So I played for the Steelers for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, bounced around the league for four, and uh, I was super fortunate because I'm from Pittsburgh. I went to Pitt. Um, got to stick around there for a minute, and uh, yeah. So that was like the most fulfilling. Thing of my life to this point i'm not married nor do i have kids so don't judge me but yeah dude, that was awesome and now um so now i've got a couple of them uh our clients and those guys will call me to do some custom work for him here and there so i'm working on ben's building the house um i've done a bunch of pieces for him and his wife and we're wrapping it up with this like modern it's modern uh walnut desk and i'm doing like a a bridge arch in the front of it it's like a subtle nod to pittsburgh which is like the city of bridges yeah um is there any difference kind of working for high profile clients so for me i'm, I'm always trying to build the best quality product i can so uh, in i guess the back and forth with it in creating anything is going to be uh time and quality and the faster you get things done the faster you make money but the better you make things the more money you can make down the line uh, based on that quality so for myself i'm always trying to do the best uh, quality product I can. So in that, you know, with someone like himself, um, I know his wife has a very particular taste. And so I'm doing a lot more attention to details and things like grain matching and things like making sure the, I mean, it's all all walnut desks. So with all the hardwood, you know, um, making sure that if it's quarter or riffs on, it's all matched in uh, the same way. If I'm doing all the drawer fronts are book matched, all of the um, veneers are running the same way. There's no sapwood in the entire build. All the drawers are dovetailed. Little things like that. I, I try to step it up so that way it's like a it's a, it feels like the high end piece that you know they they're they're, they're paying for. for yeah. And um and I do that with all of my work. But you know when you're selling your products, you do uh, justify certain aspects based on the price that that person's paying yeah if they're paying you pocket hole money you use pocket holes exactly so there's a time and a place to use certain methods and there's time and a place to not and if someone's paying you top dollar for something and you know there's a better way to build it i personally believe that's how you should be building it if if you were sitting next to somebody else who was a, a professionally trained furniture maker they would be making it a certain way, and you should, in my opinion, you should be trying to mimic that. Um, if Sam Maloof made this desk, how would he make it? Yeah. Um, so you know, it, that's that's how I look at it. So um, <clears throat> when doing the arch specifically, I I put it on my Instagram, and I had a I had a screw up, so I I laid it out, and I would, I could have done bent lamination, I could have CNC'd the whole thing out of plywood, and done um, edge solid wood edge banding. There was a bunch of ways I could have made this arch with the verticals in it, um, but. You know, looking at it, the the grain pattern wouldn't have matched. 
if I would have done it all out of a sheet of plywood, everything yeah. would have been running horizontal or vertical. So it looked weird compared to the rest of the piece of furniture. So, all right, I tried to cut the arch out with a, uh, a router and build it. Typically, when you're using uh, a pattern like that, you build it larger and route it back down to small. Uh, and then I screwed that up. So I ended up doing the <laughs> this damn arch four times. <laughs> and like it turned out looking great, and I ended up going with hand-cut lap joints that I like softened the curve into the base of the lap um, by hand, and they look fantastic. And all the grain matches up and works the way I want it to. Um, but you know, I could have easily, like I said, just had that thing CNC'd out yeah. and and you know got to them the same way and just hope they don't notice. But for me, I'm like, you know, how would, how would somebody else have done this in the highest way possible? So that's kind of how I, I look at furniture making, especially, especially for clients. That's, that's interesting, John. Does that philosophical outlet outlook, is that specific for you just as a maker? Or does that apply to other things? Because what I often find is when I'm passionate about something that I'm doing, I often think very similarly but then I'll meet somebody that's passionate about something else and I'm the consumer. Like let's say if I'm, I'm having dinner at a friend's house who's a chef mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, I got to go to the store to get this one. I, I need saffron to make yeah. this thing. <laughs> I'm like, right, right. oh, no, we don't need the saffron. It's, it's like it, yeah. it looks great. It smells awesome. You got all kinds of things in there. It's gourmet mustard. It's good enough, right? So I have that ethic. But it's not an ethic of consumption. It's an ethic of production, right? Like yeah. I care about what I produce that way, but I really don't care as a, as a consumer often unless it's something I know a lot about it. Um, I like all beers. Like, yeah. I mean, I like some better than others. I definitely know that there's a quality difference, but I don't care as much as some of my friends that make their own beer do. Right. And I'm sure you've run into clients that don't have the same consumer ethic that matches your sort of production ethic. Yeah. Do you ever see that imbalance as a business liability? Uh, yes. So, you know, like I said before, the, the time value is if I'm putting all of this time into building the perfect or as close to perfect item that I can, I'm obviously taking time away from building other things that could be making me more money. Um, so you, you do have to, like when I, I learned quickly to design things to a client's need and then give them the top dollar price off the get go and come down and then take away the things that would be, um, more expensive in, in the construction method. But I'm, I'm like the same way with food. If I cook something, it doesn't matter if I'm making dinner for myself or 20, like I have to have it as good as it can possibly be. I want every fresh herb and everything that's going into it to be literally perfect. Like I want people's minds to be blown. Right. And I think with where I'm at as a content creator, that's 100% a setback for me because a lot of the things we do don't need that attention to detail because um, whether it's education or inspiration in that piece of whatever I'm making, <clears throat> it, all of it doesn't have to be perfect for somebody to get that perfect piece of information out of it. Yeah. Right. And there's, and there's different at the, the broader you go, right? Mm-hmm. And so with a piece of furniture, you're producing it for yourself and then the client. So it's an audience of two. It's a, it's yeah. a small... It's a small circle. With content, the audience gets broader and broader and broader. And really diverse, yeah. And exactly. with that becomes it becomes impossible to serve any one person perfectly yeah. while you're serving another person perfectly. So it's weird. I mean it, it's I always am so impressed when a movie like I didn't really like the movie Titanic, but I think it's so impressive that it could be so big at the box office but also win an Academy Award. Right? Because it it's serving both a narrow criteria of experts but also a broad criteria of the masses Mm -hmm. um that's the best case scenario most things can only do one or the other yeah um and i think that's the trick with 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 content is that when you're doing content with making separating quality is so tricky right and we all know what quality is as makers but quality as content in the aspects of performance i'm not talking about the aspects of cinematography and those things but strictly into the bottom line of performance it often how i think of the quality of content for my business is totally different than how i think about the qual uh the quality of the designs i'm producing that i'm making content about um and i still haven't completely reconciled that that 
that difference. Well, it's interesting because like Brad, you've got a lot of crossover with, you know, we've, we've all got a lot of crossover, but you're building things differently than how we're building things. You're using different tools, you're using different materials. And at the end of the day, that's kind of interesting is understanding what your audience is getting out of your content, like where the focus should be. So like, how do you balance that? It's, I, I think it's like one of those, one of those things. And I know you guys talk about, you know, prolificness and like, what are you, what are you known for? Yeah. And I think that some of that is that you go in and you can build that, but then other people kind of find it. And I think I was more of one of the people that found it. I was just having this conversation the other day with, with somebody who was talking about um, kind of a new style of shooting and that they want to make it more documentary and things. And they said like, I just, I don't want to just be another guy building, you know, I want to do this side story and all these, these things. And when I went into it, I was just like another dude building. Like I didn't go in and be like, hey, here's going to be my angle, my shtick. But what I found as I went through it and the feedback that I get is like your stuff, like your builds and your presentation are super clean. You're super detailed, but you get through it quickly and you keep a good pace. And so that was something that I just kind of naturally did, I guess. And that's because like as I did it, that I, you know, that's how I wanted to consume it. And so that's how I made it. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's the, the thing is that I take a lot more time than like Ben, like, you know, I've sat down with Ben and be like, hey, Ben's like, yeah, I do a voiceover in like an hour. I'm like, it takes me two hours to write it, like another, you know, half hour for this oh, and to edit. And oh yeah. Like, so I type and that's the thing, like, it, because yeah. I go so super detailed that, uh, because I do that, it does push my production time forward. But it's one, what I like and what I feel comfortable putting out. And two, that's kind of now become like my niche is like super detailed, but um, easy to understand and quick and keeps the pace up. And it doesn't get into all the specifics of measurements and this because you do such detailed plans. That information gets picked up there to where you can go into teaching more about the technique or why things are incorporated the way they are. Yeah. And what I've started doing now is is I've started making it jam packed with just little tips, like things that people may or may not know like referential measurement like using playing cards to space your drawer fronts and an inset like little stuff like that and that's what i've started seeing more and more of my comments being filled with in my youtube videos is like wow like i love this tip or like that was a great tip and like you know there's so much extra stuff so now that maybe if somebody's not really interested in what i'm making i've now started getting people to watch it just to see some of the building tips too and i think that comes with the like I said, the extra detail and me writing the voiceover and really thinking about what I'm doing, and and so like in that sense, like I don't have a struggle with the balance, but at the same time, I just know that the style of content that I like to produce takes a lot longer, and I'm not going to be able to put out as many. So I average you know two to three a month versus one every week. It's interesting because what you're describing is that there's sort of like a secondary value other than just the plot of your video, right? So I, I think of TV shows like Mad Men. And I liked watching the show Mad Men regardless of what was sort of happening in the storyline. Because the setting and stuff like that was was so cool. I was just sort of enjoying being immersed in that kind of style in that era. Mm-hmm. And plot was like almost secondary to it. It's still... Right. And what you're sort of saying is that you're the way you're sort of working your content is there's sort of a rich layering of information that's sort of modular and independent of the project itself, but yeah. directly related to it. Uh, and that's sort of like, you know, you're creating multiple ways people can get value out of the content. Yeah, and, and that has been. I mean, because as makers, we always try that. I mean, as content creators specifically, it's like, you know, your goal is that you're going you're gonna to land a win every one, right? But you know that as we broaden out that some people like, you know, been your fitness line. Like some people are like, might be like, you know, I, I, I go to a gym. Like I didn't, I'm never going to build something fitness for my house. So I'm not really interested in this, but you still want them to try to come in. So I, yeah, I think it's like, how do you, how do you figure out ways to pull them in? And you know, that's always the challenge. All of our challenges is like, I mean, what we're trying to do is just get people to watch that next one and to watch everyone. And, and because that, you know, helps grow your channel and helps get you more, more viewers and more sponsors and all that stuff. And that helps grow your business. So it's, I mean, I think it's something that we all try to figure out. Well, it's funny for me. I mean, it's, it's interesting the way we think about things at, at the core and how they relate to who we are. So I, I always sort of think of myself as a designer first. So I always think of my building or my projects builds as more about I'm using building to show a design idea, but it's really trying to show the sort of 
this an idea about geometry or about material connections or material juxtapositions and experiments and making us just easier than doing drawings on a computer. So I just building prototypes to show ideas. So I'm never really, I go fast through sort of technique and stuff like that because it's not my strong. So, and it's also just not the part I'm personally as interested in. But I will like watch your guys' or your videos in particular, Brad, to get some of those sort of things that will help me sort of make my uh, experiments a little bit better. I'll watch like a Jimmy DeResta video to, to get some other ideas about sort of weird, you know, <laughs> archaic tips, right? Yeah, I'll watch some of Mike's uh, videos to, to actually sort of help me sort of – Mike will do a lot of sort of connection things. I'll think like, oh, I, I wouldn't do that because I'd see like a hang-up and he just blows right through it. I'm like, no, that – that does work. Um, and there's like sort of a casualness to it. So, so I'm watching kind of stuff on, on both ends of the spectrum. Um, and that's sort of helped me sort of figure out where, where I'm going to conduct my next experiment. Yeah, but it is really cool. I mean, I think you're hitting on it. That That's what's so cool about our space is that everybody's channel is like, is like an expression of their personality and what they're interested in and how they do it and, and all that stuff. And, yeah, that's, I, I really enjoy that about just how we can all build the same thing, but it's like completely different ways, approaches of filming, you know, presenting, and obviously building. The projects themselves, too. Right, yeah. yeah. If we all built a dining table. There would be four very different four, dining four, tables, yeah. yeah. The knives are like a microcosm of that. I mean, like as we yeah. go in there. and, and the Even with the same designs. starting point. Right, yeah. It's like, okay, we all started with this these blades, and we all had different ideas of what we wanted to do with them. I think that was a... Besides that, the other cool aspect of building things together is to see someone else's workflow. Like, wow, for instance, we glued up the target, which which you'll see in our content. And, like, the way I would do it compared to how Brad would do it compared to how Mike wanted to do it. And, you know, where we all cut corners. So, like, where we wanted to cut corners <laughs> yeah. here and there and where we want. Because we were restricted by time and wanted to get it done. And uh, But it was interesting to see, like, where we all compromised to actually do right. it. And, uh, and then how we actually got it done. And it, and it wasn't. It wasn't too far out of the realm of how each one of us would have done it individually. But, but, yeah, but the beauty thing. was, like, in the end, like, we we're throwing these cheap, you know, <laughs> grinded knives in the target. That worked great. Well, yeah. this is why – this is one of the reasons why I suggested we do – we sort of collaborate. And our starting point is a one-day build, right? Because we're all I, – I, I know you guys. We're all pretty strong-minded people. We got strong yeah. opinions. Uh, we know we and we all have ways that work for us too. And and in general, when I see sort of collaborations on sort of making things, and, and I'll speak for myself, I prefer collaborations where it's two people making two different projects, but in the same space. Yeah, I find that it's like a log jam often, and it, you you it, and you get less utility out of both people when it's two people trying to make one project. I like uh, when you know. Ever since Mike's been out here, I think the our productivity's increased because we're not trying to work on the same project together. We're working on different projects next to each other and then giving each other tips that we may or may not utilize to do that. Yeah. So we're getting extra oversight, extra ideas, extra troubleshooting, but not the slowing down of an extra of the battle of wills to do it one way or another. It's really interesting, right? So if we have, you know, four makers and we're making the target. We all got like a different way we're thinking about it. And they'll be like, most of it, no, 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 you should do that way. No, no, just do it that way. Yeah. Oh, no, it doesn't matter, right? And you see, and it's a silly project, so no one, no one really cares, right? We just get it done and, and it works awesome. We all suck at throwing knives, but not the point. Um, but you can see that like if it was a big project that was like a major part of our business, it could get a little, it could get a little tricky. One of the exciting things that, you know, as this week sort of unfolds is seeing, uh, how sort of working alongside each other sort of informs each other's work. I'm sure we'll all pick up sort of tips. I'm really excited because it seems like there's going to be a pretty good amount of metalworking, which is something I've been investing more time in lately, something that John's very proficient at, and something that I know uh, uh, Mike and Brad are both interested in doing more of. Um, and I think that's such an interesting way of collaborating because we're collaborating on subject matter, experimentation, and then also having a core knowledge base to sort of throw those, th those, those things into it. So like one of the things that uh, I'm really excited about is that as a beginner to welding and metal work, I have a hang up on sort of gas. For some reason, I don't, I don't like having like a gas tank in 
the shop, right? And it's totally irrational fear, like Mike with sharks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially because like argon gas, gas, right, is not it's, it's not flammable, right? It's not combustible. No. There, now, there, if you inhale it, will it make you talk in a higher voice? It, no, actually, no. <laughs> but you can weld on helium, and we all know that that definitely yes. uh, does. But but um but in that, I mean, you have a propane tank in, on the grill, so there's right. like which you know way much more, more right, much more combustible. Um, <laughs> but there is but there are there are these weird hangups that that aren't completely rational. It's just because you haven't done them, and I think that's another valuable thing with collaboration. I never liked using lav mics for my videos. Then Mike sort of because I always figure out, I got to read an instructions, figure it out, and then I see Mike doing it, and I'm like, oh. It's kind of easy. All right. And wow, that Chris Badio, he's good. Wow. Yeah. And so now I, I'm borrowing that and u- utilizing it more in the thing. So uh, I think when people say the term collaboration, especially in our sort of YouTube space, they often think that it's two people working on one project and then you got to figure out how to divide up the video. I highly recommend. That's great if you can pull it off, but I highly recommend just being physically in the same space, doing your own projects, having lunch together sharing ideas and that stuff i find it being like the the type of collaboration that just sort of flows and doesn't need as much planning uh which suits my own personal work style see which is which is funny because brad and i just did a collaboration on some yard games and it was exactly what you described not doing so like (laughs) you know we did we tackled one project brad was handling like so both of our brains are inclined to work in maximum efficiency in whatever situation so for instance we did cornhole boards and we were doing two sets of them. So, you know, it's Brad's video. Uh, so Brad cut the um, all the say all the miters and parts for the first board. And then while he was doing assembly, I was cutting the second parts to keep the process moving. And then I'd grab the camera and get some moving shots of Brad working. And then we moved to the next stage. And because there was two of them, I jump on the second while Brad's working on the first. And then Brad could get shots of this. And then if I had a tip, I would throw it out there. And we ended up like we cruised through it, and we hit a hiccup. Um, and had to fix it with the the logos and the lettering. Um, but besides that, it was like super smooth. Then we flipped it to my project, which was uh, it was Redneck Golf, and yeah. I just did a little bit more <clears throat> intricate woodworking techniques, uh, some some lap joints and uh, some tapering jig stuff. And we did the same thing. Like Brad did one side, I did the other, and we like cruised through it. Yeah. I think they can both. Work. I I just think it, that's what I was so excited about coming on this trip was. Uh, I know you and I, Ben, uh, think very differently about making things. We've had this conversation, and I know my because of selling what I'm making for up until about a couple months ago, uh, you pointed out to me that my brain and my process naturally moved to being as maximally efficient as possible, and that the creative aspect of what's happening uh, gets pushed away. And in that, that's reflected in the content and the story of the content and the, what's happening with it. And things just seem to be being produced for the sake of production. Um, and then it's funny you talk about a collaboration and that we falter to the engineer and the guy that's trying to be efficient <laughs> in production. And that's our process. And we're just like, I mean, we literally sat down and wrote a playlist of like what process of who's doing what, who's doing this. Well, that's the best way to do it because there is such an overlap in skill. Like, no one needs to watch the other person run boards through a planer or cut yeah. cut face frames and all this. But kind today of stuff. was super interesting because when we hopped on that butcher block concept, uh, it was exactly what Ben said. Yeah. One person was doing one thing, and we were kind of all just like working on whatever, and boom, came together for what was needed. And then, yeah, like by the time I had the frame around the target itself, you guys had already painted the board, got it all like leveled out, and everything. And so Ben that, came out and painted the circles, and like we were sharpening our knives still and wrapping handles and like working in tandem i think that's the secret is with the overlap of skill like if that's the case you know it's it's cool if one person is incredible at leather work and you're great at metal work and you mesh together and make this cool project but when that's not the case if you can just do what you're both good at independently and then come together and and that's just beautiful i think what you're getting at is a lot of collaboration seems forced because they wouldn't naturally be collaborating right you would and, both be doing your yeah, own thing right? yeah. <laughs> but and, it does make you a lot faster though i tell you what like the, the two things that i was like this is amazing is like when i was planning boards and like i'm on and, and johnny brook came over we did a, a collaboration a while back and uh i did a cutting board and so i had a lot yeah. of boards to plane like short boards like i was on one end of the planer and he was on the other like and that was just amazing i was like like we're just chunking them through there you know yeah yeah it was, it was fan. and that was like when we did the glue up uh for the for the target like i was applying the glue then handled johnny throw him the clamp so it was like more assembly line stuff but like a lot of your stuff been like when you're you're doing 
very uh, you know geometric cuts and stuff. So you're kind of doing that. That it's it's almost like a one person thing where it's not like somebody could be production line passing you things. But there are some you know some areas or even like staining. Like when we stain the cornhole boards, yeah. like he started one end, I was just applying stain. Like a second pair of hands, I mean, yeah, is great sometimes. Even though you know it's not it's not the best case usage of like having you know, another high performing maker with you, like a yeah. supplying state. Yeah. That's not, like the argument of like skilled yeah. versus unskilled. Right. Labor. Like you can yeah. just have a shop hand to help you do that. You don't need to collaborate. I think it's kind of like going on a road trip with a friend. It's always better to have someone else there take turns driving to someone to talk to, but it's bad when both people are trying to give conflicting directions. Yeah. <laughs> no, make this right. Yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> I know a shortcut. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, what do you guys have planned? Like, y'all, everybody's kind of doing their their routine content, but what's what's big for the rest of the the year? What what's the big moves? Yeah, we're about we're a little past halfway through the year. What we we talked about it on a previous episode, but what are your guys' sort of how you're seeing the rest of 2018? What are the things that you're, you know, you you've learned so far? What are the things you're excited about for the second half? And what are some of the wins? What are some of the the lessons? And what are some of the the goals for the second half? I think it's really cool that that John and I. So John and I just, I mean, obviously we're we're partners in made for profit, which you know we run as a business. And life partners. Life partners. <laughs> you know, we spoon very well together. But uh, weirdly enough, Brad's big spoon. <laughs> I like to be cuddled. Yeah, but it's it's been really cool to watch each other to to like have somebody like you're saying like to to have a sounding board like that. And I think that's really cool. I'm sure you guys, when you get on the podcast, same thing. Yeah. Is that um, I, th- I think that's helped us personally and to see things and and come to things faster. So I, I think like you know just as a side note, like if if people are out there and they're not they don't have that partner or that mentor or that you know, that just go-to person that they're talking to, that it's harder to recognize some of those things because like some of the, the conversations I've had with John have helped me understand, like think like, oh yeah, I, I, why am I like, why am I sidetracking on something that's not core to my business that I'm putting extra effort into that's not growing? And so that's a conversation we have all the time is like, don't get too fancy, like double down on what you're good at. Yeah. And it's like, for me, uh, I'm, I'm good at making plans and doing like shop storage and plan sales. So then like, as I start breaking off and doing these other projects and John was hitting me up, he's like, dude, like why are, why are you not doing more shop project stuff? And yeah. I was like, well, because I want to make something really cool and yeah. I want to get a million view video. Like yeah. I want to, and, and that's not going to be for a table saw storage cabinet. Yeah. And so like, there's that, that draw to do like the sexy and fun stuff, which, which I do. And so it's not like, I'm just going to stay straight lined. But like that's been the win for me is like making the stuff that's core to me that's not like super exciting, but it's really useful. It's extremely useful and it does really well uh, for me and my channel uh, monetarily. And that that that's you know trying to figure out how to do that more effectively, how to expand the product line. So that's going to be you know that's what's been winning for me, and that's what I'm going to try to do more of is like how do I increase that and how do I add more value to the people who support me and give them, you know, packages and whatever and just build into the people that are supporting me because like it's amazing. I mean, that's like we all like that's why we are making our living is because there's people out there. There's the listeners of this podcast, there's the listeners of our podcast, all of our followers and like how how to pull them in and have a better engagement with them and give them more value in the content that I give. And so that's like what I'm trying to to figure out is like get more like find out what they want and give them more of it. And it's it's kind of funny because it's so easy to be objective, for instance, watching other people's YouTube videos. Like we were doing that a few minutes ago and everybody has comments like, oh man, he should have cut this a lot sooner. Or man, that was like, that was a long ad read. Or like, oh man, why is he putting, like why is he stitching together so many angles for this one shot? Whatever it is, it's so easy to do that with other people's content. And sometimes... Like to be reflective and objective on your own is way more challenging. So it's great to have somebody else to be able to talk into you and, and speak the truth. And yeah. Yeah. and I think that goes with content or the the products themselves. Like I'm not going to spend all day cutting dovetails because a lot of my audience probably also won't cut dovetails. So it's that it's, it's understanding that and knowing the why is is. It is. I mean that, that so like the, the second part of that though is like so for me doubling down on what I'm doing good so far, but also to stretch myself. So that's why like talking about the welding, like I just did a welding thing 
with the the desk with the wireless charging and that's my first time i welded a base in my shop alone and like learning new skills while at the same time doubling down on your current stuff so that you're staying so that you don't get because i think if you get stuck in your rut and you're like i'm doing what works i'm just going to keep doing that like you, you know you can have a blind side if you don't if you're not keeping an eye out for like other stuff and still improving or your content could get a little tired too right, yeah. right. i think that's a really good point I, I always think of it in terms of tv shows like yeah. i like the first two or three seasons of 24 it was it felt fresh it felt fast paced yeah action packed it felt like like a like a, just a, re- a 24-hour movie it was it was pretty cool by the fourth season, I was just like, kind of, well, wait, it wasn't that the show was any less quality. It's just that I had reached a saturation point for all of those ideas, and the show wasn't bringing anything new to the table. Maturing, right? So I think it's what's, what's fascinating. It's, I think it's the biggest difference between sort of what we do, since it's so based on us personally, uh, versus what happens with sort of other video content that people consume at high volumes and at regular intervals is that, you know, most sort of produce things, you know, HBO, their shows while they run, they'll peter out, they'll bring in a new one. We can't be a new person. So, but consistent evolution, even if we haven't saturated with our current sort of abilities, is essential. There's, there's no way around it. If we do the same thing over and over again, just like everything else, it will either plateau or start to diminish. And that, that's, that, that's, to me, the part that I enjoy about the content business that I feel like contributes to being a more interesting person is that challenge. Uh, and you see it with the people that sort of are at the top of the sort of content game. Uh, they're always getting better at something. They're always investing and learning in new areas but it's you can't also abandon the things that you're already right and so that's why it's that fine line between doubling down what you're already successful at but folding in new layers of new things that will hopefully mix in with that that sort of you know success core and 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 magnify what about you john what's the back end of 2018 looking like my man i mean so 2018 has been super interesting for me yeah uh first off being the first year i've actually like focused on content creation um you know i had zero sponsors coming into the year and i have too many to count now and like i'm actually making money on it and i went to youtube's next up um last may how was that it was good. It was good. They teach you a lot of like behind the scenes stuff. There was a little bit too much chatter about like pitching to television stations and contracts and things like that. I had zero interest in, um, but it, all in all, like really good experience. And from that, um, you know, I, I realized that you know I, I do have um, a decent amount of talent, and that there's a lot of potential in this maker YouTube community. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I put an emphasis, I actually wrote a note, they forced you to do this, but I wrote a note to myself that in six months, uh, I'd like to be making real money from my YouTube channel. Um, and it like hangs on the wall on my desk, but six months after I got out of there was literally, uh, the beginning of 2018. Yeah. So with that, I started phasing out of doing custom work and really focusing on producing better content, adding content, content, <laughs> quantity of content. Well, I like that. <clears throat> and, um, adding more value to my audience. So uh, at the beginning of the year, I dropped the, the river table build. Um, I started doing a bunch. Yeah. If, if no one has seen, if you guys haven't seen John Malecki's river table, no. join the crowd it's, of 2.5 million that have and go watch it. So with 2018, uh, I have this massive piece of content that is boosting my channel a ton, but Speaking of doubling down and focusing, I don't want to be the guy who's known for building river tables. You don't want to be the river table So I'm in a conundrum right now because all signs point to doubling down on river tables. If I wanted to get a massive jump in growth on my channel, I'd bang out two or three more of those things and ride that train until it runs out of track. But I'm not doing that. So kind of where I'm at is... um, you know, my, I've, I've got a great audience and, and great growth and, and great community around my content, but I truly don't feel like I've found my voice yet or what I'm trying to do on YouTube. For me, I look at myself and I'm like, well, <clears throat> I'm kind of like the everyman. I'm not great at one thing, but I'm good at a lot of things. I'm completely self-taught and, uh, and I just outwill a lot of aspects of what's happening in life and in the making community. What's cool with what's happened this year is that 
the positive reaction we've gotten from the podcast with that audience and seeing that type of mindset in me has inspired a lot of people to, you know, put their head down for six months and quit their job or chase their dreams. Um, and that's kind of where I want to take my personal brand problem being that that is not a type of content that would work on YouTube, um, especially in our community. So I'm trying to balance all this. And I think that that niche is where I provide the most value coming from a background in professional sports, um, where I've, I've never had a real job. Like I've never done anything real in my life. Everything has always <laughs> been in fantasy land and it's no joke. Like I went from the NFL to working for myself and doing this. Yeah. So like in that, I think I can, I provide a lot of inspiration one and I put a lot of time and effort into getting better at a lot of things, um, that can help others. So I'm excited for 2018 because I'm getting a lot more, um, requests to put that type of content out there. Um, and so, you know, I have, I have a couple things in the pipeline for 2019 where that could become more of a readily available aspect of my brand. Um, it's just not going to be relevant to my YouTube content, but in that, um, putting more time and effort into my YouTube content, you know, I, I definitely want to get better at certain skill sets and start providing the value. Like the one thing I wanted to touch on when Brad was talking is that, even though you feel like your content can be mundane and monotonous at times, you are consistently providing value to your audience. And that's why your audience has continued to grow for myself. I just do whatever I'm doing. And like, you can pick and choose things out of it to, to get value if you're looking for it, but it hasn't been like the core mission. And I think it's been the reason my growth has been slow. So it's something that I'm working on for the rest of the year is like, you know, I just did this ridiculous Thor hammer, but in that, you know, I threw it to Brad and he was like, dude, hand cut a mortise and tenon for the, the handle and head joinery. He's like, you have angle cuts on the bandsaw. He's like, got a lot of good tips in here. Yeah. Throw a voiceover on it. And people that are just building random stuff can still get something out of it. So for me to start seeing that and incorporating it more into my content, that's kind of what I'm excited to, to start doing. So when do we see the trebuchet video? So the trebuchet video is when, <laughs> when Ben finishes the tiny home, we're actually going to build on top of the hill oh so we can gosh. launch watermelons at the neighbor's house. Perfect. The I'm villagers are screwed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like I like, so me personally, I like to try to tackle large things that seem unattainable yeah. because that's my personality is just like, Oh, look, there's a star. Like, let's go reach for it. And I've always been like that. Um, so, you know, I, I've got, I've got big dreams to do a lot of wild things. And, um, it's me getting out of the mindset of the production for resale mentality into doing things for myself and personal fulfillment and my need is, is something that's exciting. Um, more home improvement projects, more things that are based around John that are, are what I want. Um, I think will help my content grow, help show other people uh, a lot of good tips, tricks, techniques, and inspiration um, and what they're doing. And that's, I, I think I truly think that that's the most valuable thing I can do is that because I'm self-taught, yeah. I've learned a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, ups and downs in that and a lot of experience that I can share. Um, and so I, I'm going to, I'm excited to start putting more of that into my content coming, coming up the rest of the year. And that's, what's awesome about y'all's podcast is y'all are able to pull back from past experiences and be like, this is a lesson I learned the hard way, the hard way, like yeah. don't do the same thing I did or do what I did, but do it this way rather than that. So what's, what's awesome is we've, so we've added a tier to our podcast of our patrons specifically for one-on-one coaching Yeah, and the interaction in that is so much different than you get in uh, a group setting yeah. or yeah. in that not private. Um, it happens a ton like WorkbenchCon. Uh, I, t- I spoke about just transitioning out of the NFL into uh, the maker community and, or in anything you want to do in life. And I, cause I think there's a lot, a lot of um, individuals who are, <clears throat> who don't believe that they can take skills from somewhere else in life and apply them to their dreams. But regardless, it wasn't like a, you know, learn how to grow your Instagram or yeah. learn how to grow your Pinterest or Facebook or get better on YouTube. Like there wasn't a directive to it. I still had five, five to eight people sitting there after asking me questions about, um, you know, growing their business or what learning experiences I had. And we get a lot more of that in these one-on-one coaching sessions, which is awesome because Brad's got 15, 18 years of corporate um, experience that he gets to share, you know, how he would handle it. And then I can take my experience and the selling aspect of my business and share that experience. And then you hear from this person in three months and they quit their job and tripled their revenue. And you're just like, yeah, that's a really cool uh, part. I think like John and I are are both like natural, um, 
teachers. It's been really cool to to have people so excited about the podcast and like enough that they want to, I mean, like, it's like, you know, like the business coaching, like we didn't set it up. So it was cheap. Like it's not, it's yeah. not, it's not cheap to do, but like to have people come in there and be like, yo, we want to like, I want to grow my business. Like, and I like what you guys have done. Let's hear about it. And it's, it's, it's really cool. And it's like, and I think that's like, so, you know, for us personally, but then for the podcast, I think that's like where we're trying to figure out how can we provide more value and because one-on-one is awesome yeah. business coaching, but it's also, it's not leverageable. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Ben, we've talked about this a right. lot. Like how, how do you, how do you make stuff that's more leverageable? And so whether that's classes or courses, like we have the pricing guide. So like we want to do more things like that, where we can share our passion and share our knowledge with people, but do it in a way that's leverageable so that, you know, we put it, we re- do 20 hours of recording and make it into an instructional course and then sell it out there and then you know, Skillshare. It's, then we Skillshare it, yeah. yeah. Hashtag not sponsored. Tell, exactly. tell us a little bit more about the pricing guide. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the pricing guide, we came up with, um, like, John, we started the podcast and we were like, we want to have, we did a episode, so we go through and we do our episodes and we we're like, we want to have something that we can give people that's that they can take away after the podcast. And so one of the things that we started doing a, a feedback about what do you guys want to hear about? One of the things was like pricing. Like, how do I price my work as a woodworker? Like, I, I don't know how to do it. And all these people who they'll start making things for free, they'll start making things for themselves, then for free for their family members. And then when they start being like, oh, I need to charge people, like they have no idea how to price it. Yeah. And so the beauty is, you know, John went through that, like <laughs> being four years as a custom furniture builder, like, and John's had tons of business coaching on that. So so he has gone through the fire and then on my side you know having a, a business degree and a mechanical engineering degree and lots of years in corporate profitability work and all the stuff like we it was the perfect combination and so we got together like i did the technical stuff you know john was like here's in the real world and here's how i've used it and here's what's worked and here's what not and we put it together and, and that's like available to your patrons it's available to everybody, to everybody. we'll thank link guys, to that thank you guys for being on i got oh, one more fault okay there. great I think that's so important because whenever I've posted, uh, I don't do a lot of commissions, but like when I did the shoe store, I, the, you know, I couldn't tell the story of the design without tearing, telling the story of the financials and the timeline because that influenced the choice of materials, how fast we we're working, the making, the, the, it influenced the design itself. Um, so in sharing those numbers, I was surprised about the number of people that commented, particularly people that were into trades that their tendency was to say that I charge too much, mm-hmm. right? And I find at the same time that I, I talk to all these people that are in some sort of making type profession, whether it's sort of being a carpenter for, for new houses or sort of making furniture items to sell. And they'll, on one hand, will complain that they're not making enough money. But on the other hand, they're trying to charge the same rates that they see factory manufactured you know like the cb2s the restoration hardwares and just aren't competing um so i'm really glad that you're creating that because what was surprising to me was how many people have this sort of like very conservative ethic that like oh you know my time's worth this much and they just don't factor in downtime right or they don't factor in their time to acquire a new customer Mm -hmm. they don't factor that into the sale price of their items they think of it like, oh, I deserve to make this kind of wage per hour per day that I'm working on this project. But there's time in between those projects. And the time conceptualizing the project and all that, yeah. Right. And the other thing is that they, were, they weren't thinking of their design time as labor. They were just thinking of their physical right. ma- manipulation of material as labor. Right, right. I, I, I think that all should be factored in. Travel time. You know, logistics, client meetings, all those things are all your labor, yeah. uh, particularly. But so what, what I was sort of seeing was that they, again, it's the power of these labels, right? So if they see themselves as a maker, they might take that sometimes too literally and not also realize, no, you got to get paid as a designer. You got to get paid as your own administrators. You got to get paid as your own inventory managers mm-hmm. and yeah. your own accountants and all those things as well, too. But that's that's the biggest thing that we see and we talk to people is that people have a hard time separating themselves from the hourly like, oh, I'm making twenty five dollars an hour. That's great. But if you really want to make money and you really want to do that, you need to look at it as a business. And whether you're making, like you're a labor and your labor rate is 25 or 35 or $50 an hour, whatever it is, 
you need to think about yourself. But then like a business is going to pay somebody that, and that's an expense. That's not income. And so you need to be thinking like, how are you making margin on top of all of your expenses? And that's the big thing. Like people, when people wrap their heads around that, then that's when you start making real money instead of thinking, oh, I made $20 on that. Well, it's like, what about your overhead? You you had electricity, you had all those runs, you have insurance on your truck, you have all these things. And so, yeah. So if people want to check it out, it's madeforprofit.com forward slash pricing guide. We're going to put that in the link. Yeah. So thank you guys for being on. Shout out your individual Instagrams. Yeah, mine is uh, at fix this build that. And I'm at John underscore Malecki. Exactly. So if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to give us a five-star review on the iTunes app that lets it know that we are a good show and that they should suggest it to other people. If you want to check out the throwing knives we all made together, they're on our Instagrams. We're, bu- we're doing some build videos. Mine will be on my second channel. They'll be all over. So just find our Instagram and, and, and go from there. And, second and channel quality. There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's second channel quality. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again to Brad and John. You guys have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Finger guns. Yes. Peace. <laughs> Noggin. <laughs> Elbow. <laughs>